Welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, conversations designed to help you as you live, learn, and lead through pain. And now the host of the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, Davey Blackburn. Hello, welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. My name is Davey and I'm your host and joining me, the lovely Emily Schiltz. Emily, how are you? So good. I always prepare in my head to like say something like, <laughs> I don't know, like, like fantastic. here's Emily and I Amazing. just want to be like, hey, hey, or what like, up? Ooh, ooh. but then you ask, how am I? And I'm like, oh, oh no. Hey, I'm good. <laughs> but I am, I'm good. <laughs> good. Well, you're always good, which yeah. is always great. Most of the time. Most days. And then, and if I wasn't, I wouldn't tell you. Yeah, I also will not tell the listeners at all that when you are tired, you have a uh, um, an alter an ego? alter ego that yeah. comes out that we've named Grimly. Yeah, yep. But based off of gremlins, because if you like, what is it? If you I would feed not want to embarrass or, you like that. Yeah, over the airwaves, so I won't Thank tell you. people yeah, that. Thanks for not telling not at all, people not that. At all. Yeah, hey, I don't right. get mean. Just no, you as don't. a clarification. <laughs> I That's don't true. Turn into you just a get gremlin. loopy. When I get, you get really weird, tired, which is really weird. which is fine. I think everybody kind of gets in that space. Yeah. Yep. But yours is an actual alter ego. So. It is. Yeah, I call her <laughs> by name. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I have a question to kind of okay. kick off today. All right. I was thinking about missions trips. Yeah. What What has been your favorite missions trip you've ever gone on? Man, that is. Um, I don't know. That's a hard question to answer, but it's also a really easy question to answer. Hard because um, growing up, honestly, even into college, uh, I wanted to be a medical missionary. Really? So I went to nursing school um, because I figured, hey, I could get across more borders mm-hmm. that way. So all throughout high school, really all throughout college, I was taking any break opportunity that I had to just travel, whether that was internationally or domestic. Um, and then as Kent and I got more serious, I uh, just realized that like... Um, Kent is a homebody. Like if you know Mm. Kent, you know that he's a homebody. And so there was probably about six months um, of like our serious dating season that I was praying that Jesus would either um, remove my heart for international missions or that he would remove my love for Kent. And that was just a really hard season. Wow. Um, But obviously we got married and I feel like Jesus has provided opportunities for ministry in my life in like ways I never thought possible, like never thought um, that I'd be gifted to do these things. And um, anyway, so all that being said, been a lot of places because I thought that's what I would do the rest of my life. But my favorite, um, who, yeah, my favorite, I would say, uh, was Uganda. So okay. I went to Uganda my senior year of college um, with my nursing class. Um, so like part of our um, program at Anderson University in Indiana um, was to do like an intercultural, like immersive um, medical trip. Yeah. Um, and so me and I think probably 10, 15 other students um, went to Uganda and we spent like two and a half weeks there um, doing some like medical clinics, um, which was just really incredible because there's like, I don't know, a lot of dynamics. So that's like the yeah. first time you're kind of practicing on your own. And um, we weren't licensed at that point. So it was like, hey, give shots and diagnose and wow. do the best that you can. Um, but I think it's like those moments that you realize, oh, I know a little bit more yeah. <laughs> than, yeah. than I thought I did. Um, but also just like the people were incredible. The country's beautiful. Oh, yeah. um, we were able to Um, This is probably also one of my biggest regrets, but we had the opportunity um, to bungee jump into the Nile River. 
What? And I didn't do it um, because oh I was too gosh. scared. But it was like one of the most fun experiences, like seeing my best friends do That's that cool. and take that leap of faith. And um, there's just a lot of really cool opportunities. I would say my second favorite mission trip I've ever been on um, was to Guatemala. Um, to Guatemala too. Really? Yeah. That's good. So fun. Yeah. So I feel like Guatemala was a little bit different because I got a minor in Spanish. Yeah. And so at that point, um, I was using Spanish a lot. Um, was in like a lot of high level Spanish classes in college. Um, and so I was able to do a lot of communication. Yeah. And so it was like the first place I'd been that like, even though our primary language was different, there wasn't really a communication mm -hmm. barrier. So I felt like I got to experience more of the culture than I expected to, because I could actually like communicate with right. everyone. So right. yeah, That's it was awesome. good. Yeah. Really awesome experiences. That's really cool. What about you? Well, you know, um, I've actually only been to on two mission trips, and they've been really uh, for, forming for me. I mean, very yeah, shaping right. for for my life. And we have people in our church that ask a lot, like, "Are we going to do a missions trip? When mm. are we going to do missions trip? What do we do for missions?" And I, I try to point them like, "Hey, you're you're on a missions trip every day of your yeah, life. Of course, yeah. you know, the Great Commission says go and make disciples. Like wherever you're going, work, school, the gym doesn't matter. You're on mission." And um, sometimes I think that we, as a, as a culture in American Christianity, we like step over the people right around us, our neighbors yeah. who don't know Jesus, to try to go do some kind of extravagant foreign missions trip or something. Yeah. And so, I, you know, I wonder sometimes if like stewardship is an issue for some people. God's saying, hey, be faithful with a few where you're at, and then I'll send you, you know, to the nations. Yeah. Um, but I, I've been really blessed to be able to go through a couple of missions trips that really helped to formulate God's call of ministry on my life. One was Guatemala. The uh, The other one was to Haiti. Okay. My dad grew up as a missionary's kid in Haiti. So wow. the first like 11 years of his life, he grew up in Haiti. So much so that when he came back to the States, they were living in Marion, Indiana, and he heard about football tryouts mm -hmm. and he shows up to football tryouts in soccer cleats and shin oh, guards. That's really cute. Because he had no idea. He's like 12 years old. He has like <laughs> no idea what American football is, yeah. you know? But um, no, I, I'd take that back. He knew what American football was, but it was just like <laughs> that. That was just like a funny thing. That like that's what, culturally that's what yeah. he was like football, you know. Yeah. And um, and so he took me when I was twelve as kind of a rite of passage into manhood on a mission trip to Haiti. Okay. That was a medical mission trip. Actually, my aunt was there. She's a pediatrician. My uncle was there. Well, two of my uncles were there. One is an OBGYN. So I guess to like sit in on surgeries. Yeah. Like, I have a picture of me at 12 years old holding up a uterus, which is a little odd. Aww. But I was all scrubbed in for the surgery <laughs> yeah. and holding up a uterus. I'm sure it, like, only flies having a 12-year-old in the <laughs> operation I'm room. I'm literally just picturing, like, 12-year-old Davy. It's like Doogie Howser, you know? It's like a big fish, but just <laughs> replace really the is. big fish it's with huge. the uterus. <laughs> it's a hysterectomy. It's like a massive uterus. It's like, hey, you know. And at 12, I had no idea, like, that how embarrassing that even yeah, is, you yeah. know. But, um, yeah, so got to wa watch a lot. I actually got to watch and scrub in for a, um, a C-section. Okay. Which was amazing. Yeah. Uh, then my other uncle, who's an ophthalmologist, mm -hmm. is that the one that operates on eyes? Like, is oh. a uh, eye surgeon or an optometrist thing. or one of those? Yeah. Whichever one <laughs> operates. I got to witness, like, watch a cataract surgery and that's cool. just really cool. But I think, you know, going to Haiti and seeing the poverty that's there, mm. it, it's unbelievable. Yeah. I could not believe the conditions that people lived in. And yet they would walk to church hours to get to church and right. the joy that they had, even though they had nothing. Right. It was unreal to me. So it really was 
forming for me yeah. to watch and witness these kids who uh, we'd play soccer with these kids. Um, one of the weeks that I was there and they didn't, if they had a pair of shoes, they took their shoes off hmm. to play soccer because they didn't want to mess up their only pair of shoes that they'd have. Yeah. And so we, we actually brought some soccer balls for them because normally what they'd do is they'd climb a grapefruit tree. Okay. They'd shake it. Grapefruits would drop out. Some of the grapefruits were were used for breakfast that morning. Others were used to play soccer. Yeah, they didn't have anything, and um, just some really interesting things that would take place. We we were in Port Margot, which is in the mountains of Haiti, um, and and they would shut off in the village. They'd shut off the the power at nine o'clock every night. You're talking about pitch black mountains of Haiti, and you'd fall asleep listening to the banging of voodoo drums in the wow. hills around you, and you're like. This is just another world, yeah. a whole, whole nother world. And so um, I met this kid named Jordan hmm. and he was my age and he didn't have a family and I couldn't understand why we couldn't just bring Jordan back yeah. with us to the States. Like, right. why can't we just put him on the plane and go? And my dad's like, well, it doesn't work like that. We can't do that. But it has always caused me to like want to adopt mm-hmm. from Haiti. Yeah. Um, always been something. And, and Christy and I have talked about that, you know, in the future adopting from Haiti, which would be really interesting we would be like the United Nations as a family because <laughs> <laughs> she's half Korean. Her daughter's a quarter Korean and a half Mexican, um, well, our daughter. And then you got Weston, who's like blonde hair, blue eyes, right. you yeah. know, and then we'd have like a little Haitian baby too or something. Yeah. <laughs> like, this would be a cute family. Really, really funny family. <laughs> but um, I say all that to say, I just, you know, that's something adoption has been something that's been in our heart. Um, yeah. It was also in Amanda's heart. She yeah. fostering an adoption was in her heart as well. So it's kind of been embedded into what we want to do. And um, it's really cool that the interview that we have today is with a a girl named Jamie Ivey. Mm -hmm. And many of our podcast listeners are going to know who she is. Um, The way that we got connected to her is she was actually a listener of our podcast. She was listening and she kind of gave us a shout out. And um, as we're, you know, scrolling through all the different people who, you know, at reply and comment and stuff like that, we saw that Jamie had, she's been podcasting um, has written, you know, uh, pretty recently a really great book and just recognized her like, wait a minute, who is this? And just has a really, really great ministry yeah. that she does. But they, as a couple, she and her husband have adopted three kids, two of them from Haiti. Wow. So they definitely a, a heart for adoption. But her story, the breadth of her story is not just about adoption. There mm-hmm. is so much involved in her story. And uh, I'm really excited about you guys hearing the interview we have with her because it is, um, it's really awesome. Just a really powerful, powerful interview. Um, And so I just, I can't wait for you guys to hear it. Yeah, we're really excited uh, for y'all to hear it for sure. Um, Before we hop into the interview, because I know we're like greatly (sighs) anticipating it, like we're so excited, can't really wait. We We have Two things. Two things. Uh, to chat hang about. Hang with us. Yes, hang with us. Don't don't you know go forward don't in the scrub. podcast. <laughs> don't scrub. That's a scrub is a guy. I don't. Can I sing that? I, I don't know. know. I don't no, know what that means. What, yeah. So I probably mm-hmm. shouldn't. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> swallowing that. Um, so one thing we always talk about um, in the intro is uh, the opportunity that you guys have to rate and review the yeah. podcast. Um, and we love, love, love when you guys share your stories with us, uh, even if that is on the platform where you're rating and reviewing, mm-hmm. wherever it is that you're listening to this podcast. Um, but it does a couple things. One, it, it puts the podcast higher up in the search mm-hmm. list so that as other people are 
maybe they don't know it yet, but looking yeah. for hope in their headphones, um, they'll come across the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, but um, also just helps us to to um, hear your stories. But wanted right. to share one story with you guys. Um, we got an email um, in from a, a girl named Catherine um, who just shared about how um, the Nothing Is Wasted podcast is impacting her life. So just wanted to take a second to read that to you guys. So again, this is from Catherine. She says, I wanted to reach out and thank you guys for the Nothing Is Wasted podcast ministry. I recently started listening to the podcast over the last several months. It has been such an encouragement and help to me. I work as a nurse in a burn intensive care unit. And long story short, it's a really tough job. Going to work and hearing and facing so many stories of trauma and pain and loss every day in others' lives. Some of the situations over the last few months had really shaken up my faith. I found myself asking for really the first time in my life, is God really good? How can he just allow such horrible injuries and situations to happen to good people? I'm still working through those questions, but I'm learning new things about God's character in the process. And he has used this podcast, maybe more than anything else, to hold my faith together the last few months. It is so encouraging to hear stories on the podcast of how God has redeemed such broken and tragic situations. It gives me hope that someday, hopefully, the patients I've cared for will be able to see God's hand in the midst of their lives and situations that brought them to the burn center, that nothing is wasted for wow. them. That's awesome. Yeah. we. I love hearing stories like that. Me too. Just um, whether you've gone through tragedy or whether you know people that have, they've been affected by this podcast, every time I read that, I feel like I'm reading it through misty eyes because mm-hmm. we never thought that this podcast would have the impact that it's having. Yeah. You know, it, it never started with that kind of, it was a dream, like maybe it'll impact people, but we didn't know. And to see that God's using it in a powerful way and using all these stories of people who are walking through their trial with faith and with courage yeah. to tell their story is a really, really cool thing. Yeah. And so um, thank you so much for writing in, Catherine. Uh, thank you guys who are a part of this community. Thank you for everything you guys do to share it, to spread the word. Thank you to those of you guys who give. Mm-hmm. That really does help. You can, If you feel led to give to this ministry, you can go to davyblackfriend.com slash give. Um, and there'll be a, a drop-down menu where you can give specifically to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast and helps us to produce this podcast and get it out there. And so we just thank you so much for for everything you guys are doing to help make this community possible. Yeah, for sure. It's really great. We love you guys a lot. (laughs) Yeah. Don't get misty-eyed over here. I'm sorry. You're going to during this interview, I promise. (laughs) It's going to be, wow. It's going to be awesome. It's true. So grab your tissues as we hop into this podcast with Jamie Ivey. Jamie, it's awesome to have you on the podcast. Thanks for joining me. Davey, I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me. (laughs) Yeah, well, I don't want to waste any time because you have such a powerful story, and I feel like we could chase probably a hundred different rabbit trails with it. (laughs) But I want you to first just quickly tell us, who is Jamie Ivey? Where are you at right now? What are you you doing? What's your family like? Um, And then we'll dive into kind of some, some background of your story. Yeah, so I am married to my husband, Aaron, and we have been married for 17 years, Wow! which when you get married, that seems like an old person. So <laughs> I am, I'm like now 40. So I've been married for 17 years. We live in Austin, Texas. We've been here 10 years. Cool. Uh, we think that this city is just the greatest city in the world. I've heard it's amazing. I've never been, but I've heard it's it incredible It is amazing. City. Oh, you should come. I it's definitely need great to. Great food, great vibe. It's, it's a great place. And 
He serves as worship pastor at our church here, Austin Stone Community Church. And we have four kids. Our oldest is a freshman in high school, which seems so crazy. Wow. And then I have two boys in seventh grade and a daughter in fifth grade. And so we are like all in football is our life right now. And that's a lot of fun. (laughs) And I have a podcast. I've been doing that for four years and I released a book this year. That's awesome. So that's my world. Yeah. That's awesome. Very, very cool. Well, we're going to talk a little bit about your family in the process of this whole thing, but I want you to kind of backtrack because you, you released a book called If If You Only Knew, and uh, you tell kind of a deep dive of your story there. Why don't you take us back into, um, you know, uh, some of the beginning of that story and just kind of walk us through it and we'll just we'll just have conversation as you go. Yeah. So I have always knew that I wanted to share my story. And it's just this thing where I just felt like, man, God, you did something so amazing in my world. I want to tell everybody. The further I get in life, I realize that God does this in lots of people's life. (laughs) And so this is what he does. Like he's in the business of changing lives, but I just felt like I have to tell everybody what you've done. And so going way back to my childhood, I grew up in church. I don't know if you grew up in church, but yep. I grew up oh, yeah. every time PK. the doors were open, we were there. Yeah. Yep. Well, no, I wasn't, but my, my dad was a deacon and we just, we were at church all the time. I mean, I met a woman the other day here in my town and she goes to a small Baptist church here in town. And she told me that she was on the handbells team. And I thought I did yes. that when I was little, <laughs> I did handbells. Um, so I grew up in church and I just felt super like it was just who I, who, who it was part of me. You know, and as a parent now, I don't know if you feel this way as well, but as a parent now, I sometimes wonder what my kids feel because Mm, they're also growing up in church with their, you know, both their parents in ministry. So I grew up in church my whole life and would have said, I'm a follower of Jesus. Like I remember walking down the aisle and talking to the pastor. I remember being in his office and with my parents and us walking through everything. I remember all those moments. And, you know, this is like discussion for another day, but it was early into my 20s when I had this kind of moment of, was I saved then or was I not? You know, and I don't think, I think it's a mute point because I just believe that, you know, I am saved. And so what's the point? But looking back, I thought I'm a good person. I love Jesus. And then I got into call into high school and I just started looking for things to fulfill me. Um, God wasn't doing it for me. I thought that the Christian kids were dorks. Uh, I did not want to be associated with them. I feel like everybody in youth group was weird. And yeah. that is so mean because they weren't. It was me. It was me, not them. <laughs> totally me. Um, but I just felt yeah, as though I don't want to be a part. Sometimes it is true. <laughs> okay, sometimes, but there's weird people everywhere. There's weird you know? people. That's true. They just I oftentimes feel... gravitate to Christianity. I don't know what it is. <laughs> yes. I always feel bad because a couple of years ago, I ran into someone that was in that youth group and I'm, she's perfectly normal. She's the normal yeah. person who loves Jesus. And I just thought she was weird. But Anyhow, so I started to thinking, I I need more in my life. Like, this is not fulfilling. And you know what's funny is I look back on that time. I don't think I could have verbalized that. Mm. Like, I don't think I would have said to my mom and dad, God's not doing it for me. I need boys to love me. You know, I I just, I I don't. There was just something empty there that you were, Something Mm -hmm. empty. Like, I've even wondered after I wrote my book, I wondered if my parents ever thought like, we didn't even know that this was happening. And I look back and I think, of course not, because I don't think I even knew what was happening. And so I just started chasing things that made me feel good. uh, Mm. That was boys and alcohol and friends that I shouldn't have been with. And so, again, I feel like my story of that is a lot of people's story, right? They 
walk away from the faith or right. they do what they need to do. Um, and so for me, I started living this life at 16. I had my first kiss, first taste of alcohol and first sexual encounter within like two months. Mm. I mean, it was like nothing to everything. Um, and then I just, that was the life I lived. I look back and look at old episodes of friends and I realized that's the, that's the life I live. Like it was just wow. so nothing like to sleep around or it was just what people did. Like right. it didn't seem weird. Um, and so I was living a completely different lifestyle than I was portraying. I was mm. even an officer in our FCA fellowship of Christian athletes at high school. And so I kind of had this double life, which the funny thing is when you have this double life, like people know, you know, yeah, you think yeah. nobody knows, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like oh, yeah, I thought absolutely. I had everybody fooled, but people know. And so I then went off to college and for me going off to college is where I said, I'm going to actually be who I want to be. I, mm. I don't want to fake it anymore. I'm just going to be half fun party girl. I would have told you I was a Christian, mm-hmm. but I think I had that mentality of I'm a good person, you know, quote unquote, good person. And my parents are Christian. So I love Jesus. I'm a Christian, right? And I just think that was what I was building my life on. And I found out pretty quickly that couldn't sustain me. Mm. Um, And so I started getting, you know, living my own life. I'm doing my own thing. I don't care about what I was raised to believe, anything. And total just partying and crazy. And I found myself uh, probably midway through my spring semester of my sophomore year, I found myself pregnant. Wow. And I had been dating the guy for just a few months. I mean, I never even met his family. It was just this crazy, it's like everything caught up with me. Um, you, when you're, I always say teenagers are dumb and I just think that they, their brains don't work right. You know, like Mm -hmm. we just make bad choices. And I just never thought that that would be my reality from what I was doing. Mm. Um, and it was, you would have thought that was rock bottom. It, it kind of wasn't rock bottom for me because at this point I just went, well, here we go. And I was going to be a mom at 19. Wow. Um, and I was just going to totally, completely have this new life and marry this guy and play house and do all I needed to do. Um, and, you know, I remember when I told my parents um, about this. And if anyone's ever been through this, it's not... It's like you are so – I was so sad at first. Like I couldn't believe it and, Mm -hmm. oh, my gosh, what do I do now? And then you get to where you're like, well, what can I do? Here we go. You know, like It is what it is, you know, and thankfully I I never entertained the idea of an abortion. I'm not saying I'm above it. I'm just saying it didn't enter my mind. Um, and so I was going to become a mom. And so when I'm telling my parents, it was so difficult because I knew I had let them down so much, mm-hmm. but I was also like, this is my new work. This is my new reality. This mm. is, this is what I'm doing now. And, um, I remember I told my dad alone without my mom because I'm not stupid. And I knew that, like, <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to tell the person who I think is going to have the most grace for me first. Yeah. Not that my mom isn't gracious, but we all know which parent to go to right. in certain needs in certain times. Um, but I told my parents and, you know, Davey, I just realized I felt so much like I had let them down so much. Mm. Um, looking back on that time, I didn't really feel like I'd let God down. Like I didn't really feel like I knew I had done something wrong. If yep. that makes sense. Yep, absolutely. And I knew I had been doing stuff wrong, 
But at the end of the day, it didn't feel like that big of a deal to right. me. And so, well, the Bible, you know, the Bible talks about that idea of like godly sorrow versus worldly exactly. sorrow, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And, and the godly sorrow is this place of, of being like, man, I've let God down. You know, when David sinned, mm-hmm. where, where he yeah. slept with Bathsheba and then killed her husband Uriah, he's like, I, I've sinned against God. And it's like, well, David, mm-hmm. hello, you kind of sinned against Bathsheba and Uriah too. You know, like you, you let mm-hmm. a lot of people down here, but it's like he finally got to this place where he was like, no, I, no, I let God down, you know, and yeah. that's godly sorrow versus what you said you're just experiencing worldly sorrow. Totally. So, it was completely worldly sorrow. Yeah. Like, oh, my life is going to be different. What do I do now? Am I going to yeah. graduate college? But I never really felt this guilt, which to me is a, a a really big sign looking back on my life. Like, I don't know that I had this relationship with Jesus mm. um, that I know I, you know, did a couple of years later and do now. And so I ended up getting pregnant and, um, you know, tell my parents all the things. And, uh, you know, craziest thing is I had a miscarriage. Mm. So I lost that baby. And I don't know if you have ever walked through wow. miscarriage or not. No. Um, mm-hmm. But it was one of that was like, that was kind of rock bottom for me because I felt as though, well, now I'm happy with this, just this thing right. that's going to happen. I'm committed to this child. I'm committed to this guy now. And then God, you just took it away. Um. So I wow. felt like I, I had given my heart to this baby even though I didn't want that, and then it was taken away. So I dealt with a lot of, oh, I, and then I was happy that I wasn't going to have this baby at yeah, nineteen. I was and say, so then I was guilty. Some relief too, but then like guilty that you're, yeah, wow. Total relief, total guilt. Like, well, how am I supposed to feel happy that I lost a child? But then I'm so happy because now I'm not a mom at nineteen. Um, and you know, that chapter kind of closed, and I didn't really revisit this until years later. Um, but at the end of that, I ended up moving home. I was like, okay, I, I got to get myself. It was like, kind of like w- everything caught up with me, right? you know, everything caught up and I moved back home and my parents were phenomenal and wonderful and welcoming. And at this point I'm like, I'm going to pull myself up by my bootstraps. I'm going to get my stuff together. I'm going to get my life together. Mm. I start going to church with my parents. I'm just really working hard to be this good Christian girl that I thought I should be. Mm-hmm. Um, that I thought I was and that I had failed. And so, you know, I started, kind of got back and I changed my, like, I'm going to be different. I'm going to be different. And then I went to college and joined a sorority and I have nothing (laughs) against sorority and fraternities. It just wasn't the best place for me to step back in um, when I was trying to get my life back together. And that January, I went to Passion. And mm. I don't know if you've ever been to passion conferences. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So it was the second one, I believe. Wow. And um, I had, I went to passion and God wrecked my life. Man. Um, I, there was a woman speaking. I'd never heard of her. Um, and it was just literally God spoke to me through her for the first time wow. ever in my life. And um, do you remember I who it was now? It was Beth Moore. Okay. I was going to ask, was it Beth Moore? Totally, you need Beth to have Moore. Beth Moore on your podcast. That would be a really beautiful thing. That'd be such she's a cool. Been on, Has she's she? been on. Yes, oh, man, and that's for awesome. and when I got to tell her that story, oh, it gosh. was just it was amazing. Because that's so I mean, cool. how amazing to you have this person that you don't really know, but God uses them right, like in mad like huge ways. Wow. For me to tell her was just it was one of my most favorite moments ever so far, especially in my podcast life. Well, you know this uh, in ministry too. Like as someone who is as a preacher, the only reason I feel like I preach is because I had these moments in a setting mm-hmm. like that that God just altered the course of my life. Yeah, and that's all totally. I want to do for someone else. Like one person totally. if it is. 
but to then be able to see someone else making a huge impact because of that is like, man, I bet that ministered to her so much. That's awesome. And I mean, she's been doing ministry for, oh, yeah. I, mean, how many, I mean, that was, you know, what, 20 years ago. Right. So for years and years and years, and I think it's valid for you to tell people who God uses in your life yep. because it's don't think that they know, like they need to hear it as well. Right. So side right. note. So cool. <laughs> Go write your preacher a letter this week, yes. guys. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, so my life just really changed. Um, the hardest thing about that, though, was I was in a relationship. Um, it was a, an unhealthy relationship, but I didn't know what to do. I, I equate this so many times with just, I didn't know how to be in a relationship as a Christ follower. Mm. Um, I had never been in one. And so I didn't know how to not do certain things. Um, I didn't know how to have a guy respect me enough that he loved me for who I was and not for what we could do. Uh, and so it was a new thing for me, and it's so incredibly difficult. Wow. Um, because I came face to face with God of the universe changing your life. <laughs> and then now what? You know, mm. now what do I do? Must, I didn't even yeah. know how to live. Uh, not how to live like I wasn't depressed. I didn't know how to be a Christian. Right. <laughs> I didn't know how to do this. Well, um, what you had and, thought about, you know, you grew up in church. So you, what, what they you were thought, weird. What you thought was being a Christian was now been deconstructed. Totally. Completely. Yeah. Totally. Totally. Mm. And so I thought I was going to, have to change everything and become a dork. Like this, <laughs> this is my only option. <laughs> this is what I have to do. And uh, so um, it was. It was a trying time. I think about those moments a lot when I hear, um, or when I even like I I have the just amazing privilege to volunteer at our county jail uh, uh, every week. I was just there today, and I think about that those girls a lot. That a lot of them will have life change. In, in jail and um, yeah. you can't make fun of it because God meets us at our lowest. And so I think about them having life change um, while being incarcerated. And what does that look like to leave and have a new life, you yeah, know, and right. it's hard. It is difficult. And there's so much grace that needs to be um, needed. So I, uh, hmm. I ended up breaking up with this guy and I'm like, I'm going to be a Christian. I am in, like, I am following Jesus. I'm taking Beth Moore Bible studies. <laughs> I'm going to church and I'm just, I'm in, like, I really believe God saved me, um, that year at the conference. And so I'm in, I'm doing all the things. And then, you know, it's funny that you talk about worldly sorrow versus mm. um, godly sorrow and grief. And I experienced that that year um, more than maybe any time ever in my life because a couple of months after following Jesus, I went on a trip for work and I invited a guy to come with me. Stupid, mm. stupid choice, right? <laughs> Dumb. Like, come on, Jamie, get yourself together. <laughs> um, and we ended up having sex and mm. I ended up getting pregnant. I mean, wow. I mean, what are the odds? I mean, right, I guess exactly. they teach you this in class in middle school, like, you know, <laughs> um, but I ended up getting pregnant and here I am, someone who's really following Jesus and I make the same mistake I've made my whole life. Wow. Uh, you know, sexual intimacy was super difficult for me um, and I'm pregnant, but now I love Jesus. Wow. And what I felt, I, I, I have said one time to a friend that what I felt then, it, it's, it's funny because I felt... I felt, you know, guilty towards God. Like I felt that. Uh -huh. um, but I also, for the first time in my life, I felt so very loved by God Wow! Um, through my mistake uh, because I think I felt grace really big right then. Wow. Um, and I felt that even though I messed up again, like, I mean, I really was like beating myself up. Like, are you kidding me? Really? Um, 
I felt so loved by God. Mm. Um, and before I would have felt, if I felt guilty, I would have felt like God was, he was mad at me or I let him down or I'm never going to be good enough to be a Christian. And in that moment, I didn't feel any of those things. None, not wow. one. And wow. that is a, an exam, a testimony to what happens when our life is transformed yeah. by him, you know, because that's only him. I, I'd been in that situation before. Oh yeah. You absolutely. know, and that's not what I felt. Um, yeah. So I look wow. back at that failure and think, God, you were so big to me right then. Man, that, well, that is testimony to like grace, you know, so if you, let's take this situation, you know, it's someone who is not a follower of Jesus and, and maybe they didn't even feel guilty that they got pregnant, yeah. whether it's like, you know, they're not even feeling worldly sorrow. They got pregnant. They're like, well, it is, it's just kind of how it is. Mm-hmm. Then they, you know, um, sadly, they're not, they're, they're feeling nothing, you know, in that mm-hmm. sense, maybe like, Oh, my life's going to change and this is going to be difficult and that sort of deal. But what you felt is you didn't feel nothing with God. You felt something and yeah. that was this flood of grace. Like mm-hmm. what should have been this guilt, what should have been, you felt this flood of grace, which is testimony to the fact that like God, grace is a gift. It's actually a thing that God gives us in the midst of what should be filled with something else, what the world fills with something else, with guilt or with nothing or with apathy or with whatever it is. God goes, no, here's grace. That's the, it's like a, I don't know why this is the first time I'm like, as you're explaining this to me, I'm feeling like it's a tangible thing that he, but he I actually, felt it. that he gave you. Yeah. Yeah. Like this, you know, here's something that you don't deserve, Jamie, but here I'm going to mm-hmm. give it to you. And you're like, yeah. what? <laughs> Yeah. And you know, for me, I've had some people say like, it's not that big of a deal that you were having sex. And granted, like, we're not going to, we're not going to label sense as big and worse, whatever. Right. But that was a really big deal for me because it was this kind of, um, like, I don't know if you've ever, if, if you have something you struggle with, you give it over to God and then it comes back up again and you're like, oh my gosh, here we are again. And so for me, that's just what it was, Mm. you know, like here it is. I thought we were, I thought I was done with this. I thought I had given this up. I thought I had better self-control. Um, and then there it was Mm. all over again. And the consequence is still the same, you know, like, you know, you're having sex with someone that you're not married to and you, you have a baby. It's just, it is what it is. Mm. Um, and so here I am pregnant for the second time, um, loving Jesus, like Mm. pursuing him, changing my life. I had changed so much about my life. Um, then, and so for me is also, I felt, although I felt super loved and this outpoint of grace from God, I was super worried about people think about me. Mm. Um, you know, it's that it's the person that struggles with addiction and then they're back to it. You just, how, what are people going to think? Are they going to think, is this fake? Does she really love you? How could she do this again? All the things that we think about people. Um, and you know, some mm. people m- might have, let's just be honest. Like that's right. true. <laughs> some right. people would have thought that. So that was a really big thing for me is what are people going to think about me? Man. And you know, the hard thing is once again, I lost the baby through miscarriage, you know, so two babies, mm. um, and the whole flood all over again of relief. I'm not, I'm not going to be a mom at 20 and guilt for like, being grateful that that didn't happen. And that those, both of those miscarriages and those emotions are things that came back up for me to deal with, you know, probably 10 years ago that I never walked through. I never really walked through grieving those kids until about 10 years ago because Mm. I didn't, A, I didn't know how and B, I didn't, I didn't think I had a right to. Yeah. Wow. 
because I wasn't married and I didn't even know this guy. I mean, I just thought you don't get to grieve over these kids. Mm. Or if you grieve, then people will think you don't. What I, I mean, it was just, I'm 20, I'm 19. Man. I didn't know how to process that loss. Well, you didn't have the foundation for for wholeness right there to be able mm. to just um, walk through you you lost no matter what, no matter what, like there was some part of you, just like any miscarriage, a part of you that was, that was so intricate, intricately a part of you and became mm-hmm. one with you as like a mom, as you're nurturing this baby inside of your womb. And then all of a sudden you lose it. And in the situation you're in, you're right. I don't think that there is this construct at 19 years old or at, in, in that particular situation, because you were feeling all these mixtures of feelings of relief and guilt and shame and all this kind of stuff that yeah. you were able to walk through that in a whole way yeah, and grieve it. And yet it was still a loss. Still you know? a loss. And nobody hardly knew. I mean, like my parents right. knew I was pregnant and then two people. So right. then you're all alone. So you're suppressing this. it by yourself. Yes. Doing the, yeah. yeah. Wow. Totally. And so, I mean, and the crazy thing is like, you know, God has really changed my life. And th- this was a consequence of, you know, some sin that crept back up. And then, Three months later, I start dating my husband that I'm married mm. to today, and he um, was working at our church. He was a pastor there, uh, and the students, and uh, we start dating. And the craziest thing—I mean, I love telling this story because um, my husband had never even kissed a girl before he met me. Mm. And so, where shame entered for me uh, was feeling as though he got the raw end of the deal. Mm. You felt uh, that. Not oh him. yeah, I felt, felt that. that. He yeah. never, he never told me that. He never right. felt that. You know, um, I started somewhere along the way. Uh, we've been in ministry our entire marriage. Somewhere along the way, started feeling as though if these people knew where I'd been or what I've done or what's happened in my world, a would they let me do ministry? Which saying these things out now is the most foolish thing I could ever think of. But these yeah. were real feelings. Yeah. Would they let me do ministry? Would they let me talk to their teenage girls? Um, what would they think about Aaron and I? Would they think Aaron got the, you know, he could have gotten better? And mm. those are just lies. They're lies that Satan threw at me and they stuck with me for years and years and years. Wow. And let, it's me, sad. Let, me, let me interject real quick and ask you this because I'll forget about it later. How how have you battled those lies and how has Aaron helped you battle those lies? Because I'm sure you know, when, there's both parts of Yeah. You know, yeah. When Aaron and I first, when we first started dating, I mean, literally on our first date. Um, I was like, this guy's too good for me. He is, he is I don't deserve this. Like this is, this is not going to work. It is not going to work. And so I told him, I've got some things in my past I need to tell you about, but I mm. really think when I tell you, you're going to bail. But I wasn't, I wasn't willing to tell him right then. It was like, mm. I, I'm not ready. It's too fresh. And he said, you can just tell me whenever, like, I'm fine. I'm here. And six months later is when I told him we dated for six months. Wow. Uh, me feeling as though if I tell him he'll bail and all this time I'm falling in love with him. I mean, I just asked him the other night at dinner around the table with our kids. I was like, how many dates until you knew you were going to marry mom or whatever? And he's like, I knew our first date. And so he's going into wow. this relationship. I'm going to marry this girl mm-hmm. like, like, like that. And I told him um, six months in, I laid it all out. I was like, I, it's time for me to tell you. And that whole time I'd been praying, God, will you help me? Just like, Help me be confident in who you say that I am. Help me mm. to be able to tell Aaron and not feel shame. Help Aaron to hear and not, you know, whatever I thought he might do. And so I, I laid it all out. And Davey, I'll never forget. It's one of my fondest moments of our relationship is we're sitting on the beach and I, I tell him the whole story. I tell him everything, everything, every, more than in, in any book could ever go. I tell him everything. 
And he looks at me with tears in his eyes and I'm crying and he's holding my hand. And he said to me, you have nothing to be ashamed of because Mm. that's not even the girl that I know. Wow. And I remember feeling as though it was the first like tangible person in front of me that felt like what Jesus would say to me. Mm. You know, like I could read what Jesus thought. I could listen to a sermon, all these things. But now there's this person who's saying, I'm going to commit my life to you. I don't even that you don't have anything to be ashamed of in front of me. And so that was monumental for me. Um, For me to work through it over the years, I would say about 10 years ago is when I started putting in the work. Hmm. And what happened for me is I just started to say, you know what? I'm going to believe that what God says about me is more true than what I feel about myself. And I'm going to believe that what God says about me Um, matters more than what A, anyone could think or what I could think anyone would think, you know? And so just putting in the work with some small group of girls as well, studying God's word and really starting to feel like we all have stories, you know? And I mean, I told you this before, this is one of the things I love about your show is we all have these stories, hard stuff about life, good stuff, and all of them can point to Jesus. They all can. And so I started to believe that, that, man, God, you're you're going to use my story as hard as it's been for me, and you're going to use it to do good things. And that's that's just kind of where that came from. And Aaron, we have never had to walk through or deal with that. You know, I'll say honestly, when I first started writing the book and stuff, I got I would get nervous about, am I going to say this? What does Aaron think? And of course, Mm. Aaron's like, this is dumb. Like, of course, I don't think anything about this. What do you mean? (laughs) He's just always been super, super confident in what God says about us. I love that, you know? Hey, I just wanted to take a second and interrupt this interview to tell you about Thriving in Trial, a Nothing is Wasted handbook that I've just released in ebook format. Over the last year of interviewing people on this podcast who have walked through hardship and adversity, I've noticed 10 consistent themes, 10 common denominators, if you will, that have helped people find healing in their pain. I wrote my book, Nothing is Wasted, as a memoir narrating the journey of healing God took me on after my wife, Amanda, was killed in November of 2015. While we're waiting for that book to be released, I wanted to distribute some practical content that could act as a companion to Nothing is Wasted, the book. That's why I wrote Thriving in Trial, to give you practical tools to help you as you live, learn, and lead through pain. Jump over to DaveyBlackburn.com to download your copy of Thriving in Trial, a Nothing is Wasted handbook. This might be too, I don't know, this might be too personal. How open... Have you been with him? You know, so, all right, let me give you context for this question. Um, this may just be more for personal uh, personal help rather than, <laughs> but it might be helpful to listeners. So you you guys step into this and you've got a history he doesn't, regardless of what the the details of the history look like. How open have you been with your about your history with him? Because I've, you know, definitely heard advice with married couples that it's like, some people say, you know, disclose everything to the other person. Mm-hmm. Some people say only to uh, the extent that they want to that you to, uh, you know, disclose that. And what does that look like in your relationship? Because I'm sure that contributes a lot to mm-hmm. how you guys have walked through intimacy. Like, mm-hmm. and I don't mean sexual intimacy with each other. I just mean the whole picture of it, right? Yeah. You're becoming mm-hmm. one as a married couple. I'm sure it has a lot to, it's, it's, um, 
uh, it's definitely affected that. Yeah, for sure. What does sure. that look like for you guys? You know, there are, when you said the two camps of like, share everything or just right. share whatever. And I've heard the both. And, and, you know, in complete honesty, we've been married 17 years. Mm-hmm. I don't remember exactly when it <laughs> yeah. all went down 17 right. years ago. Right. Um, you know, I do remember on that beach when I told him everything is I let him know everything that had gone on. Did I mention every encounter that I had ever had in my entire life? Of course not. You know, like it wasn't, it wasn't relative or valid for that moment right then. Mm. Um, You know, there's been things over the years that have come up just because when you have a past like that, things can just come up. Mm. And so talking with him about those things has been difficult, um, but it has, it's been helpful as well because Aaron is also, he's such a, he's such a grounded man in his faith that he also really, really realizes that even if those things come up in my life, they don't define me and they're not who mm-hmm. I am. So yeah. and what I mean by that is there's no like, because it is silly to be jealous over something you can't help, like something that comes up in your brain. I mean, right. you can't be jealous about that. Right. I didn't do that on purpose. What do you mean? <laughs> right. um, and he's been super grounded and faithful in that, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. That's good, um, yeah. So now, I mean, this, we've been married for 17 years. These discussions, we're not having these discussions at our table very often. Yeah. Yeah. Now I have kids Mm. and I have a 14 year old and I wrote a book with, you know, laying a bunch of stuff out on the line that has been a new conversation in our Mm. house. And what does it look like to talk to your kids about hard things? And Tell so, me more about that. Well, That's, I mean, it's just... <laughs> I know you're just now stepping into that space, but... I am. I am. And so my kids know, also, it's not that relative, but within all of those years of my life, I was engaged and then broke off an engagement. So my kids have always known that. Mm. Um, that's not very... Um, that doesn't pour my heart. I'm not like telling them hard things by that. It's just like a fact, right? Right, right. Um, but I've always known, and I'm not afraid to talk to my kids about this. I talk to my kids about everything. Um, I'm probably too open with them, but mm. it's hard. It's hard to think about you telling your kids about ways that you failed. Yeah. Um, I think even sexually adds another layer to that because don't we want our kids to just believe that like mom and dad, right, they like right. waited and right. <laughs> they have this like perfect story of what God wants for our lives. Like this is what yeah. God's want this best. And my parents did it. And to tell them that we didn't is hard. And some people would say, well, if you tell them, then you're encouraging them to do that. And I just don't believe that. Um, so here's what happened. I had a, I wrote my book. I had a little party at my house with some friends and the book came out and I'm standing there talking to someone and out of the corner of my eye, I see one of my oldest son, he's in, he was in eighth grade at the time. I see one of his friends walking around holding my book. Hmm. And so I make a mental note, A, why does this kid have my book? And B, surely an eighth grade boy is not going to read this. Like what, but, but I made me think I have to talk to Caden. I have Hmm. to, I have to talk to my son. And so I was leaving out of town the next day and I told Aaron, I was like, I have to talk to Caden tonight. He's like, just wait till you get back. I'm like, nope, right now, tonight. And so I called him into our room and I mean, he sat on the bed and Davey, I'll, I won't forget it ever because it was almost like this kind of buildup. I've thought for years about what does it look like to tell your kids mm. that this was the the lifestyle that you led for so many years and, and here were some of the consequences and here's how hard it was. Like here, he, you think about telling them these things and he sat on the bed and I started talking to him and I talked about how, you know, what is God's best? Like, what does he want for us as people and in marriage and in sex? And 
and I told him that that I didn't choose God's best and I chose what I wanted and I was having sex and all of these things. And I told him that I got pregnant when I was in college. And um, the most beautiful thing about that conversation, which I hope is an encouragement to someone, is my main goal when I was talking to Caden was not for him to leave my room like knowing more knowledge that his mom got pregnant in college. Mm. But I wanted him to leave like knowing how good God was in spite of our choices. Yeah. And so I talked to him about how how amazing it is that God is still faithful to us when we're unfaithful to him and that like man, how does how cool is it that God now lets mom talk to women around the country mm. and even though like she made all these mistakes and so that was super hard and that's you know one down three kids to go and I still don't look forward to the next one I mean you know it's like wow. I'm not like oh this is awesome y'all gather around I got a story to tell you no wow. I'm like don't look forward to it but they get to see how faithful God is that's it yeah and I think that's what's really cool about it is because I'm inferring right here and so correct me if I'm wrong but I wonder if part of um, the culture that you grew up in, that many of us grew up in in church, is this like, don't talk about the mess. Mm-hmm. Don't talk about the things that we've done wrong. Because if we show or demonstrate grace toward things that people have done wrong, then we're, we're going to give them a license to yes, sin. You know? Yes, yes. Uh-huh. And so because of that, we're going to just whitewash this thing and act like everybody's okay, act like nobody has any problems. We're not transparent with our problems. And so then we're never seeing the redemptive side of God's work. Exactly, exactly. And what you're doing is you're allowing, you're cultivating an environment with your kids where it's like, nope. That's not what we're going to do. Mm-hmm. You're going to see the mess, and I'm going to trust God's work in your life that this is not something that— and I'm even going to instruct you in that this doesn't give us a license to please don't go down this road. I actually want you to not make these choices, but I want to be transparent about them with you because I want you to see how good God is, and I want you to—I want to be—I want us to create an honest environment here. Yeah, and I actually believe that when we are open and vulnerable with our stories like, like I am and you are and hopefully your listeners are, that when mm-hmm. we are vulnerable with— the hard stuff in life, um, we, we actually get to really see God show up. Yeah. For me, when I lived so many years of like, hide it, stuff it, don't let anyone mm. know, act like you have all your stuff together. I had nothing to prove to God working in my life because yeah. I just want everyone to think I had it all. I'm doing just fine. Like I yep. don't have a need for God. Yep. And now I get to say like, man, I still am struggling with this particular sin. If, for the love, can you come alongside me as a friend and help me mm. with this instead of acting like I have everything together? And and I really believe too, when we're vulnerable, like just speaking about parenting, I, I, I pray to God, like I really, really, really would love for my kids to show up to their marriages um, sexually pure. Mm. God, I would love that. But I also know that if for some reason they don't, they've heard from their mom that God is faithful to them anyways and that God can still use them and that they're not broken and Mm. they're not dirty and they're not that. Did you ever hear that example of like the the rose with all the petals pulled off? I'm like... Matt Chandler, yeah. yeah. (laughs) I'm like, they are not that. And so I think also when we share the hard stuff, we're actually telling people like, man, you're going to go through something too and and God's going to show up. Like that's what he does. Yeah. Yeah, that's absolutely right. I mean, I think about the verse in James, it says, confess your sins to one another that you may be healed. And I don't think that that's a um, one time, mm-hmm. you know, the, okay, I, I've confessed I, yeah, uh-huh. it. It's, it's outed now. And so now I'm completely healed. I think it's actually like, as we are um, stewarding opportunities of stepping in and disclosing the mess about our lives and being honest with people that continues to heal us. Yeah, That there's constantly this healing process that's happened. It's like what you said, you know, you 
just, you know, you had years later had to grieve the loss of this, but I'm sure probably some of it came with disclosing and confessing mm-hmm. and opening up and all of totally. that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, that's, man. And I also feel like this, this, I don't know if most of your listeners are Christians. They might be because you're a pastor, whatever. But I, I've seen this too in my life is that people who don't follow Jesus, people who are looking to find that thing to fulfill them, which we believe, you know, Jesus is that, they're really, really not like, they're really not interested in people who have all their stuff together. Right, right. You know what I mean? I mean, I feel as though people have been more open to me when they hear me like confess and say things that have mm-hmm. been hard and in life. And and my book is not just about 20 years ago. Like there's things in there that have been a struggle over the past, you know, five years. Right. And they're way more apt to listen to say, what is this that keeps you going versus mm. they look at me and think I have all my stuff together. Wow. That's so good. Tell me a little bit about that. And right now you're, I mean, you're in ministry, you're a pastor's wife. So I have to imagine that some of the quote unquote baggage of your story has caused maybe a apprehension about, I think you even said it earlier, apprehension about stepping into ministry or what are people going to think about me or what, what my story or what has that looked like as you've processed through that? How have you battled that feeling? Because yeah. um, I'm sure that that can be the case, even if it's not really, even if you're in a culture where, you know, it is a, you know, a more more grace-filled, open, mm-hmm. transparent culture, I'm sure you can still be almost self-induced, right? Like, totally, totally self-induced. Second, yeah, yeah, yeah. Talk to me about that. You know, when Aaron and I first got married, he was working at a church. And whenever I talk about this church, I, I want to be very, very careful to say this was, this was like, this was self-induced. I don't think anyone, no one ever looked at me and said, we think less of you. No one. Mm. I just came out of a culture uh, growing up of, Honestly, I think it comes from, which is crazy. I don't know if you grew up in a church like this. Like the worst thing you could do was have sex before you got married. Like that was yeah. absolutely the worst thing you could ever do. Right. Um, which that makes me giggle now because I'm like, can think of a thousand other things <laughs> that were things, really yeah. offensive to God. Um, but that was the culture that I kind of grew up in. So I brought that in of like, if they know I've done the worst thing, what mm-hmm. are they going to think? And so me as a young person, as a pastor's wife, I really struggled. In fact, when we left there and moved to Nashville, I said, I'll never, I'll, I never want you to work at a church ever again. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also think that was a lot. I hadn't done a lot of healing at that time. And I didn't think, I I, I didn't understand what it meant to, 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 give and take that grace like that. And so way self-inflicted. When we moved to Austin 10 years ago, um, our church is just phenomenal and is really when God started to work in my life a whole lot. Um, There's just a really big, um, big emphasis on confession, like you said, and repentance, and we're all broken people. And so I have never, ever felt as though I was special for being a pastor's wife. Like I know that could be a big deal. I get messages Mm. from women all the time that are like, how do you handle with being a pastor's wife? And I just, we don't have that culture here. Like it, Mm. it just doesn't mean, and I'm just Jamie, who I happen to sit on the front row because, you know, (laughs) <laughs> supporting my man's on the stage, but, I, and right. I like the front row too, but, right. um, there's not that, not that I can feel. And so maybe that's good. I hope there's not, I always say that. Mm. And I'm like, surely there's not, I don't feel <laughs> any pressure to be anybody because I'm married to Aaron Ivy. Oh, that's great. That's great. And it should be that way. I mean, you know, yep. like, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, I know, I mean, my wife stepping into it, she's wrestled through all of, uh, that a lot. Um, stepping into, being a 
pastor's wife mm-hmm. in the church that, yeah, the, well, in the church that her husband and his late wife founded, and you know, there's that's a like lot a whole of no, there are a lot of layers there, right? Lots of layers yeah. within that. But even you know herself, like one of the things that she will will say, I wish we should have had her on this interview too. She would have loved talking to you about <laughs> this. At some point, you and my wife are gonna have a conversation. It'd be really great. Oh, I would love you that. Are, you would love meeting her. She's incredible, but. Um, you know, she talked about how she never wanted to be in ministry, um, a lot because of her past. And so she, when she started volunteering in our church before we were even an item, she started volunteering back in the farthest room (laughs) in kids ministry, Yeah, you know, cause she's like, I just want, I want to serve the Lord. I want to serve in ministry, but I don't want to be in ministry in that way up front fishbowl scene, you know, and, um, and, and I, and I think it, regardless of what our church is in that culture either, we have a very messy church with messy people and we talk about our mm-hmm. mess a lot, but no matter what it feels like for whatever reason, that that can be the case in church. It, mm-hmm. It's just a stigma that church has that we're afraid to disclose our mess. Yeah. Um, and, and I, and, and I, you know what, I, I'm, I'm so glad you're talking about this because it is so true. And I feel as though I can already tell that you guys are doing this there because you talk about we're messy people, you deal with mm-hmm. our mess and stuff. It's churches that aren't okay with saying that. Yeah. So then people show up and they're like, God, no one talks about anything messy here. I don't know Seriously. that I can be here. And then that's when people are like, well, I better act like I don't have a mess. And then they just go through the right. motions and then, you know, everything falls apart and they don't even know where they can go because everyone has yeah. their stuff together there. It's, it's, it's this culture too of being like, sh- I, I call it sin shock where you're shocked at someone's mm. ability to do that. And it's just, it makes people feel gross, yeah. you know? And I think it's okay to be like, man, I I'm, I'm not shocked by your sin because we're all sinners. Like we, we're all capable of these things. It's, we are yeah. broken. Um, and that helps people feel a little bit more comfortable when you're like, I'm not so shocked by what you've done. Right. Yeah. And I think we all have to work on our sin, sin shock face, totally. you know, like, yes. because no matter what, like we have to help people feel comfortable to tell us that, you know, mm-hmm. there have been people who have come and been like, you know, Hey, I, I here's what I've done or mm-hmm. I can't believe it. And I, I just look at them like, Hey, listen, uh, you know, I'm not shocked by that. Not because I think that you're capable, but because we're all capable of that. Yes. We're all capable. Yep. So at the end of the day, you're not going to shock me with what you've mm-hmm. what you've done if you disclose this to me because I've I've seen it all and I'm just here to help yeah. in any way that we can to point you to Jesus. Uh-huh. Yeah. But we but we have to like the more you go into here's what's interesting. The more I see, oftentimes we go into Christian culture, the more put together we see we tend to project our lives to be. Mm-hmm the more we end up being shocked by sin because it rightfully so over time, you're not immersing yourself in sin as much. And so right. you're not around people who are, you know, in complete debauchery or whatever right. it is. Yeah. It's just, uh-huh. But we're just like, you know, we started to put this like white picket fence around our lives. And yet that causes, it can cause this pride or this arrogance or this self-righteousness. But we look at someone like a, like Paul, the closer he got to Jesus, the more he got immersed in the Christian culture, the more he self-deprecated, the more yes. he was like, I yes. am the worst of all <laughs> yes. sinners, you know, like, yes. I can't believe this. And I think that that's what we've got to understand. That's the heart of God is not that we are, you know, feeling terrible about ourselves, but that we see ourselves for who we are. Yes. And it creates this culture and environment of we're able to receive and love everybody despite their mess. And ultimately we're all just trying to follow after Jesus yes. and look to him in the midst of our mess. Amen. Amen. And I think when we start to feel as though I would never do that. I could never do that. I can't yeah. believe they did that. That is the exact moment where you feel as though you are better than somebody else and mm. you are going to be shocked by their sin. Right, right. Wow. 
What would you say? The last thing, we, I man, I wish we had more time. But if you, so someone who's walking through, uh, I, I know of some people who walk through very similar your story, but um, the the difference is, that, you know, maybe not, they didn't miscarry, and so now they're mm-hmm. they're carrying around they a very visible right. Uh, demonstration of their sin, right? And so what can cause people to do, especially um, young moms out of wedlock, it caused them to to feel like they had this scarlet A almost. Mm-hmm. That's what my wife says it all the time. It's like the scarlet A yep. as you walk through church. What? How would you encourage that person? I think we, you know, we've talked enough about like the church, but how would you encourage that person as they're feeling this Obviously, we know that the best thing for them to do is to find a community where they can disclose their mess and they'll walk through it. But how would you encourage their heart in doing that so they can find healing and be pointed to Jesus in the best way possible? Yeah, I mean, I I relate to that so much, even though I did not have that child that would always be mm-hmm. this reminder. Um, I still felt as though everyone looked at me and I had a scarlet letter on my chest. I really did. Um, mm-hmm. A couple of things that I would encourage them with. Number one, when you dive in to God's Word, you you cannot help but see the way that God talks about you. You mm. cannot help but see the way that God extends grace to you no matter what. And so when I started to believe the things that God said about me more than what I felt or what people said is when I started to experience that freedom. Um, another thing is, I, I think that, and this is hard, so I'm going to preface it with this is hard, but when you're talking about Paul, I love mm. Paul. I I feel like I relate to him so many times, except I never killed anybody, you know, like Paul did. So, yeah, right. but <laughs> besides that, um, <laughs> but he gives you hope that if he, he can be honestly, hope. like it's so true, this guy that killed Christians yes. and his, and God can, God's grace can meet him in such a way. I mean, you, you know? think about like the worst thing and God's the like, worst. Hey, come on into my family. You're here. Yeah. Um, yeah. But because of Paul's story, one thing I really, really always love and resonate with him is he, he wasn't ever, and you meant you alluded to this while ago. He never hid his story. Mm. Um, he was always very vocal about it. Now, I mean, I have no idea and I'm not a theologian. I'm sure word travels fast. You know, I'm sure that Paul's story went before him, you know, in a sense, but in Galatians, one of the times that I'm thinking about that is, you know, Paul's telling the story about how here's what I used to do. Here's what I did. And then for these years, I hung out with them. And then he starts telling them all the things that he has done about how he's been called by God. And then he says, they were only, here's the people that he went to. It says they were only, they only were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. So he's saying, here's what the people hear about me. Hey, this guy, he used to persecute us. Now he's preaching the faith. Mm -hmm. And then verse 24 gets me every time it says, and they glorified God because of me. And Mm -hmm. I love that because it's Paul's whole story. That's it. It's his whole story. Like they didn't just glorify God because he was now preaching but the whole glorification is because look what God did. Yep. Look what God yep. did in Paul's life. And so let's glorify God for that. And I just want, that's how I want us to feel. No matter, we're not going to label sins as good or bad or worse or whatever. Like when I talk to my girls at the jail who I've never been in jail by God's grace, I should have been, mm. I've never been in jail, <laughs> but I'm like, God actually, he can change your life and you can right. bring him glory because of what you've done. Your whole story matters. And so to that woman who is thinking, will I ever get over this? Here's what I'm mm. saying. Here's what Jesus is saying. Hey, like I, I came to give you life. Like here's my offer to you. And then man, God also is like, I'm going to get glory out of your whole story. Like yeah. all of it is going to bring me glory. And I, I want to be in on that. You know, I don't want to be yep. a glory hogger. I want to be in. And so if it, <laughs> if it means me talking about the hard stuff, 
so be it. And I, yeah. and I know that seems hard, but it, it is true. It really is. Man, that's so good. That when we tell our story, um, instead of instead of the world, you know, tries to, you take the glory, you take the glory, mm-hmm. you take the glory. But our stories are in such a way that God uses our brokenness more than he uses our talent so that mm. he gets the glory. That's so and good. that's what's beautiful about it. That's so Man. good. Jamie, thanks so much. This was incredible. I wish we had another hour to Man, talk with me you. Me too. Thank we'll you, have to guys. Do it again. I know. It's so great. And so awesome. you guys are doing great stuff. Keep it up. Oh, thank you so much. Tell us, okay, tell us where people can find you. Okay, before we log so jamieivy.com is, you know, webpage where you can find everything. I love hanging out on Instagram. So that's my favorite social media. It's at Jamie Ivy. I don't even I don't even head over to Twitter anymore. It gives me anxiety. <laughs> I'm anxious over Twitter, so I gave it up. Uh, uh, but Jamie Ivy is where I'm at over on Instagram. Awesome. And the book that you just released, If You Only Knew, yes. that was what, released earlier this year? It released in January, so it's cool. it's been out you know a couple months, and awesome. it's fun. And then, and then The Happy Hour is the name of your podcast. Yes. I love it. Come find me at The Happy so Hour. Great. We'll put all of that on davyblackburn.com slash podcast. You can reference all of it there. But Jamie, thanks so much for joining us on the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. Thanks, guys. I am so glad that Jamie was able to be on the podcast. I know. Me too. I'm so glad. She, um, very refreshing voice. Love just the transparency. Yeah. I mean, I think talking about topics that, Oftentimes we don't talk about in the church. Right. As a pastor, this is it, it's so helpful for me even to think about how are we creating a culture that is ministering mm-hmm. to people who are broken and they right. want to come and be a part of our communities. But yeah. even just in in small ways, we are creating walls in which they can't break through that barrier, or we're appearing like we're judging people or condemning people just by certain things that we do. And so it's good to just strip that away and go, okay, what are we doing to really create? communities that people who are hurting can be helped. Yeah, definitely. Hey, if you want to hear more from Jamie Ivey, um, there's actually a couple different opportunities or a couple Mm -hmm. different uh, avenues, I should say, um, that you can hear more of her voice. So the first one is her book. Um, It's called If You Only Knew. Mm -hmm. Um, You guys can find that book really probably wherever books are sold. Um, But also we'll have a link to her book um, on the podcast page. So this is uh, episode 34. Um, and you can find that podcast page at davyblackburn.com slash podcast. Yeah. And her book is really just a deep dive into her story. Yeah. So what we barely scratched the surface with today, you can really dive deep into that. Yeah. My friend Megan just read it and I think I'm going to read it super soon. Yeah. So I'm going to borrow that from her so I can read it as well. Um, the second uh, avenue that you can listen to Jamie Ivy more uh, is at her podcast. So her podcast mm-hmm. is called The Happy Hour. Uh, it's It's on the top of the charts. Right. Um, but the happy hour should be really easy for you guys to find. Um, and that is her podcast. Yeah. Yeah. It's awesome. Um, and also one thing that we want to mention is that we have, uh, some job postings that were some spots we're trying to fill at resonate church. Yeah. So, um, this is not completely a different topic because (laughs) Jamie's husband is a worship pastor at Austin stone church in, um, Texas. 
Uh, and so we're hiring a worship pastor. Yeah. That's what we're, we're looking for one right now. We're um, definitely uh, uh, hot on those trails, uh, trying to find somebody to fill a role as a, of a worship and production pastor for us. So if you know anybody, if you have experience in it, we'd love for you to go to resonateindy.com slash jobs, yeah. fill out our application, submit your resume, um, or encourage the person that you know to do that. We'd right. love to be able to um, uh, just kind of get to know uh, some of these folks and these candidates who are coming in on this, we're excited. So if you're passionate about um, leading, not just leading worship, but leading a ministry of worship and production where you're discipling musicians, production volunteers, where you're recruiting them, developing them, um, pointing them to the to God's best for their life, um, and, and also really passionate about the three fronts that we do as a ministry of Resonate Church. We have our local church, building the local church where people can... Um, where we can help people meet Jesus and move with Him in their right. in their walk with Him, and then also the two other fronts is stepping into our inner city. We call mm-hmm. that Four Indy, and this um, global thing that God's been doing through our story with the nothing is wasted stuff. And so yeah. uh, we're looking for someone who's passionate about all three of those things, wants to help us advance that mission yeah. through music ministry. Yeah, so. and hey, if you're not somebody who would necessarily apply to that position, um, I would. We would love it if you guys would just pray yeah, <laughs> for us, uh, for our church, for our city as uh, we are looking for that person, um, just that Jesus would uh, just bring them yeah. to us well, and that know, we'd have a lot of wisdom. Music is just such an important aspect of ministering to people. Yeah. You know, there are things that are spoken through music mm-hmm. that even like the spoken word can't touch. Like the heart, music goes deeper into the heart and the arts go deeper into the heart more than even the 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 oration right. of the spoken word. Yeah. And so there's something always has been something really powerful about music ministry mm-hmm. that helps hurting people, helps broken people, helps whole people, just right. ministers our heart, helps God's word to get inside of our heart even deeper. And so yeah. it's it's a very important role for us. We definitely um, are, are being very intentional about this. And so um, we'd love for you guys to pray for us yeah. in that. If, awesome. there's, if there's anything um, that we can do for you as a listener, um, if there's any questions that you have, if we can help you get connected to a local church in your mm-hmm. hometown or any resources, whether that's counseling or just, I don't know, anything, guys, we're always a resource for you. Um, we are passionate about uh, being involved <laughs> in yep. whatever ways that, that we can help you. So um, you guys can always reach out to us at hello at resonateindy.com. Um, we'll respond to you as soon as yeah. we possibly can and would just love to help you get connected again, to whether that's a church or, hey, to people praying for you in your situation, whatever that is, um, we we love and uh, want to encourage each one of you. Yeah. So. yeah. And as always, we want to thank Sleeping at Last for providing all the music for this episode. Download his music where music can be downloaded and streamed. And um, thanks so much for listening to the Nothing is Wasted podcast. We love being a part of this community with you.